Those are my passion. I love them. Love them. Welcome to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I'm Matt Powers, your host. And I'm talking today to Mark Salter, who is a restaurant owner in the South, and he loves acorns. And he, for the past three years, has been turning his acorn harvest into a real food. And he's going to tell us how that's even possible, because there's so many different like ways out there to do it, and a lot of them, I don't know if they really work, but he's doing it. He loves food and he's got proven methods and he knows what it was, what it still is and what it can be. So let's check it out. acorns everywhere what am i going to do about these acorns i feel like i'm wasting food and i should yep. be doing something and i was literally just getting off messaging you about <laughs> setting up the time and so i said just That's hold fun. that thought because it's coming <laughs> yeah man it's such a beautiful easy process you know it takes a few days but it's, there's not much labor to it that's but, uh, fascinating. So I, man, how, I've heard different is, ways. Oh. Yes. Um, well, there's, there's, there are multiple ways. I usually, there's, there's two different ways. You, I can go ahead and start and explain like the whole process if you're ready. I'm ready. Oh, oh okay, yeah. So, you know, like there's different kinds of oaks. You know, you got white oaks and red oaks, basically the classes. And then white oaks tend to have nuts or acorns that do not have a lot of tannins all acorns have tannins some of them like white oaks they store those tannins inside the cell wall so you don't really get them on the front end if you take a bite but definitely with red oaks when you see usually the nut meat's real orange is heavy in tannins and the tannins are an anti-nutrient so you want to leach those off generally there's two different ways you can leach them off you can hot leach it or you can cold leach it uh, I prefer the cold leaching because you lose less minerals and vitamins that way. But either way, in the process of leaching them, I think you do, you're going to lose a lot of those water-soluble vitamins. But that being said, they've been doing it for thousands of years, and it's been sustaining people. But you get it? So the, the, uh, the hot leaching involves grinding those nuts up and putting them in hot water and cooking them on the stove. Now the benefit of this is you can get a ready to go product really fast. The downside is you lose more minerals and it doesn't dry out the way it does if you cold leach it. It cooks the, I guess the proteins in the nut get cooked and so it, it, you can hot do it and it becomes like a mush almost that you can use in recipes, but if you're planning on drying it out, you really want to go with the cold leach. And it just, it's just the way I've done it, it always, and it works great. You just take your nuts after you shell them. I have a Dave-built acorn nutcracker, and it is phenomenal. And you just got a large chute. You just feed it through. You can break them up. I use You can break them with a pair of pliers or however you want to get into them. Then you take them and you... Uh, grind them up you can use like a vitamix if you want to and, and you know, do a coarse grind on it get it broken up a little bit 
and then pour spring water, well water, some fresh, nice water over them. And you're going to want to continue that process for about four or five days with the, you're going to pour some of the water off about every like you know every time you think about it, every four or five hours it's good to go pour the water off and you'll see how quickly that water turns black so you'll pour a bunch of the water off it'll be black you'll fill it back up you'll do that for about four to five days you'll see it'll start getting clear and then you know it'll be a kind of a creamy color then you can take that out and dry it either in a solar dehydrator or if you got a dehydrator you put it in there and then just on a low temperature, like 105 or out in the sun, you can dry that back out and then store that flour. And you can use that flour. I, I, when I take it back out, I grind it heavy in, in a, in a uh, mill but, and, and make it a real fine powder. And then you can use that in place of any recipe that's calling for a nut meal or a nut flour. You know, like all, all the ones you see online where they have almond you can replace that almond with with the acorn um i do a banana bread like a nut bread it's like a flat bread but it just uses acorn flour and we also make a noodle out of them a korean noodle the koreans eat a lot of acorns in noodles wow so that's the thing but, it's another one of these things that's still normal in other parts of the world we just don't do it's like mulberries Every school has a mulberry right. tree, and they're like, oh, that dang mulberry tree just makes a mess. And you're like, are you kidding me? It's, <laughs> it's like the best juice ever. Uh, the best fruit ever, man. There's one across the street from this property I have um, in Jacksonville. It's about a half acre. I grew up on the property. There's a mulberry. I mean, it looks like an oak tree. It is so big. If somebody cut it down about 40 years ago, then put up all the suckers on the sides, so my copas it, and put up all the suckers on the side. Now they're all like, you know, seven, eight inch diameter trunks full of mulberries. Man, I ate like like a king for like three months off these mulberries. It's crazy. Wow. It's crazy how much abundance is in our trees and we just haven't yet to experience that abundance that can come from our trees. I got fifty pounds of acorns from this little oak tree. It's a scrub oak, what scrub white oak or live oak. It was no more than maybe 15 feet high and the, you know, the basal area of the tree is probably maybe about the, the limbs were maybe maybe 15 foot diameter maybe probably not even that and i didn't even pick all the nuts and i got 50 pounds off that one little tree that's incredible it is so there's so and it's everywhere like everywhere inside the city you go there's so much is that dried at the end of the process, 50 pounds after process? That was 50 pounds before process. That's including the shells. Okay, okay. And so so what, I have what's a, the conversion I rate? that whole thing. You get the, the shells are pretty thin. So they, they're probably about, and they're super light, um, almost on all of them. So I probably maybe be about 40 pounds of acorns. Okay. But I could have definitely pulled more off this tree. There was still just a, a ton of them on the, on the ground. So speaking of stacking functions, have you ever thought to use that acorn, that inky acorn um, uh, as ink? That water? No. Because it's actually ink. There's acorn ink out there. Really? Well, yeah, it's so high in tannins. No, it stains I, things, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. People use it to... Um, to, to tan leathers. 
Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing yeah, how, yeah. how these wonderful plants that were once centerpieces in our, and you look back at furniture and homes and books and you see like the acorn and you see like all these other plants that have these prominent places and we're like, oh, that's a nice symbol. Oh, that's a nice motif. You know, and it's like, right. no, yeah, yeah. there's actual deeper meaning there. We culturally relied upon that plant for many years. You know what I mean? And you, you got to think before, like, I mean, if you go way, way back in our history, I mean, that's what, you know, the North America was, you know, it was a food force. Oh, yeah, and it absolutely be- before, was. Before corn and agriculture made its way up from the Mayans, that's that's all there was you know it was was the food force california is a great example you know all the way up the east coast you know with chestnut and eight or white oak one in every four trees was either chestnut or white oak all the way up the east coast wow not to mention black walnuts and all the and we've just forgotten how to eat these things you know we've we've gone the way of agriculture and forgotten that our tree crops are plant once and harvest for hundreds of years you know these these old trees, man, they, some of you know, we have live oaks around here that are a thousand years old. That's so powerful. At least. And they're still, still producing food, you know, for your children's 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 children. And not to mention all the other crops that you get underneath those trees. But, you know, all the way down our triplet layers, right? our whole food forest. But they're already existing. Like our already, our top layer of trees is already there. You know, the top layer of that food forest is still around, especially in the cities, you know, not so much in the countryside where they've cut everything out and planted like slash pine or whatever the fast growing timber of that region is. But um, that's how they've done here, you know, but they've cut the food forest out, but still like in the cities and the parks, you know, it's still there. Yeah. So and when, when so did this start for you, Mark? When, when did this start? Did your dad teach you, did your mom teach you about acorns, or was it like a thing you saw at school? Or Dude, about three years ago, I don't even, I don't even know where my acorn journey started. It was probably about three years ago where I started getting interested, and I started I harvesting some, and I started doing some tests, and then I read a book. I was I had been messing around and coming up with a little bit of success. And there's a, a forger from Wisconsin. His name is Samuel Thire. He is beyond amazing. If you haven't read his books, what he books? Has for, Forger's Garden, and he's got three. Forger's Garden. And I'm sorry, I don't know what the other two are. But I have them, but they are phenomenal books. He talks about wild rice, like harvesting wild rice, everything you could possibly think of. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, but he goes into, he's got probably 15 pages of instruction on processing acorns. Huh. Yes, he's, he is crazy brilliant. Okay, and, all right. So that's great. So that's some, uh, that's some place for our listeners to go and start on this. We've got, we know which acorns to go with. So... <laughs> What else can we do with, with the acorns? We, we've got the flour that can be used in any, we can make pancakes, or is it like lend itself right. more to like uh, savory? Or, or is it open to anything? It's, it's open to anything. I made pancakes with it. I make breads, uh, made those noodles. I made dumplings. Um, you just need a binder. Yeah. And you're using it just like just like any other flour. You're gonna, because there's no gluten, you're gonna need a binder. So I, I like, um, I've used, um, tapioca stars. So I really like arrowroot flour. Flour that makes a nice binder. And yeah, you I'm know. Interested in. 
Go ahead. I was just gonna say early on when we were getting into baking, we were using all this other stuff, and then we were like buying gluten as a binder because we just were experimenting with stuff, and then everyone started asking for things to be gluten free, and we're like, wait a second, don't we have a jar of gluten in our? Uh (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it is the binder. It's the stickiness. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's some superfood. It's like I don't know, I don't consider a superfood, but it's like all gluten. It's like a big thing of gluten uh, scary well, stuff yeah they no, all not stick so much. together it, scary. yeah it's, it, you know gluten can wreak havoc in your abdomen your gut bacteria do not like gluten because it separates the cell walls on your in your intestine you know and then creates ibs and allows all kinds of stuff that should be getting into your bloodstream into your bloodstream yes and that it does that to everybody no matter how sensitive you are or not but to some extent everybody's sensitive yeah, yeah. Well, I I have Crohn's, so I'm always sensitive. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, you stay away. <laughs> so yeah. I want to dive into this. So we have, I mean, all uh, how I like. Have you thought about what the actual harvest, the potential harvest is on a uh, North American scale? I mean, is it on par? <laughs> like, are we neglecting the amount of wheat that we're growing on trees in the in the form of acorns? Yes. Whoa. I mean, there's, 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 I mean, I couldn't even guess um, how many pounds, but you got to think, especially where I am, I mean, the, the major trees in my area, all right over story, are hickory and oak. And both of those produce nuts. You know, our hickory nuts, there's the pig nut hickory. It's named pig nut because it's super hard and only pigs can eat it. But, I mean, I break it open and make hickory nut out and milk out of it. You know, so, I mean, you can use it. It's just not much meat in there, but it's great for pigs. And that's the other thing. Like, you don't necessarily have to like acorns. Pigs finish incredibly well on acorns. Yes, they do. Yes, they and do. And it makes it, you know, so even if, like, just, I mean, there's one tree. How many, how many oak trees? Well, I got 50 pounds from one tree. I, I couldn't even think of, like, how many. So this Those flips everything on its head. Tons. Mark, you flipped everything on its head for me in like one 14-minute talk with me. Like, so now I'm like, wait a second. So agriculture's degradation began even before oh, yeah. the Europeans arrived and started yes. colonizing. It was the yes. Mayans. And now... It was the right, right. And now that's it's... Why. Oh, yeah, yeah, keep so, going. No, I was going to say, that's why they saw, thought it was so wild when they got here. Not only did smallpox kill a bunch of those, but I think some of the forest gardens at this point, when, when the European settlers got here, I think a little bit of the forest management has fallen to the wayside and replaced, and replaced with agriculture. Wow. You know, we brought a lot of it, but the mines brought corn for sure all the way up to Canada, you know, and, and, and squash and beans, everything came up from those guys. Pretty fascinating, I know. But you know, I mean, when the corn is that color, can you? It's hard to resist. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> They're gems. Say, they are. Oh my God, that 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 rainbow gem colored corn is just amazing. And I'm definitely not saying anything against corn. We just <laughs> uh, we just overuse it. You know what I mean? Like there's so much in our diets that are corn. You know, chickens are fed all corn, or the beef's fed all corn, so the meat's all corn. And yeah. They, they trace that carbon molecule of corn to like everything. Yeah. Mexicans, Mexicans used to be the corn people, but now we are. Yeah, I think there's like a ridiculous amount of carbon that's all comes from corn inside of us. 
Well, what's everything wonderful? In moder- everything in moderation. Yeah. W- what's really cool is because we are set up to grow so much corn and it is a C4 grass, if we actually flipped all those fields into like um, thermophilic compost fields that were inoculated with so much life that you didn't need to ever put compost tea on it again, you know what I mean? Like when it gets that right. good. And then what would happen is all the chop and drop you do would be sequestered primarily in comparison to what it was before. And we would have this huge sequestration process because C4 grasses like sorghum, corn, sugarcane can actually really do an enormous job um, in, uh, in uh, reversing the, the carbon imbalance and start cycling carbon again. Because that's all that's going on. We're just having a bottleneck in the cycle of carbon. Right. So... Um, oh yeah, and then number two, the number two thing you 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 totally like blown my conception of, and I'm sure our listeners too, was all right. So Mark Shepard's like, we need to be flipping all these farms into for you know agroforestry. Basically, he wants it all to be food forest, right. and with the lanes and everything, so you can do crops in between and still harvest everything easily. And that's beautiful, and we got to do that anyway. But we're neglecting the solution to our diet, to our health, to our like relationship with nature, the easiness, the simpleness, the, that delight, that wonder right in front of our faces. And it's the, the we're neglect, we talk about like the food waste we have from the food we harvest that we goes passes through our food system. This food doesn't even reach our food system and we're wasting it and it's equivalent. Yeah. Wow, or at least we, we, we in this conversation we're go, we're saying that it's equivalent. We don't know exactly, and we can we can actually probably look that up. Uh, what we would do is we would look at the number of trees because they actually calculate this, the number of oak trees um, in North America, and then we take that number fifty, and we probably do it every two years, right? Because they swing. They mass, but it's uh, the thing about an oak tree's mass. A, it is usually goes across the whole seaboard, the eastern seaboard. If we have a mass down here, masses of large producing nuts, they have it all the way up to Maine. I have friends of mine that are having a great year up in yeah. Maine Acorn after a stellar year last year, and the same down here. Oh, in California too. What? Yeah, so isn't that fun? So it's I coast think, to coast. I think what it is, uh, you know, they say is control the populations of squirrels. You know, the trees will mass heavy one year, They'll let the squirrels build up population, then they'll cut it off. Some of the squirrels will die off, and then the next time they mass, there won't be as many squirrels to eat all the nuts, and some baby oak trees will sprout. Wow. That's 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 the the current thought, but that sounds good. I like it. Yeah, they're the thing is with trees is their genetics are so much more complicated than anything oh, we God. were really taking the time to work with. Um and I know there are there's badger set. Um, they're working on it on uh, chestnuts and hazelnuts, but I mean it, we really don't know what we can learn from trees at this point. It, it feels like. And if you if you read the Bible, I think like the first chapter tells us before everything went bad that it was we were commanded what eat fruits, nuts, and seeds. Right. I mean, tree crops from from our Garden of Eden, which was a food forest. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's like after permaculture, a few years into permaculture, it kind of sank in. I was like, 
they didn't listen to the directions of nature in the food forest and they were kicked out. And I was like, wait, Maybe what? So. That's what Adam and Eve was? Oh, Maybe dear. so. Yeah, it feels like permaculture is, is hitting the note of like like the, the the primary note that's within all of our cultures, you know, all of our religions. Um, it's this oneness with nature, with man, with uh, with our families. With I mean, it's it's the 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 win 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 win. <laughs> right. It and, feels right when you do when you start learning the ethics and everything in permaculture is right. Like you know it's right, and then you think like, oh, this is how the indigenous people lived forever. You know, following these practices. And then whatever religion and, or belief you grew up with or, you know, espoused to at this moment, you're like, oh, and that's what that means. And, oh, wow. And so that connects in it. Like, it all seems to connect because all of it is tied, ties back originally to nature itself. Yes. We keep taking ourselves out of the equation like we're not part of nature, but we are very much part of nature. And just like our indigenous people, we need to be on our common lands tending to the wild. You know, that was that's that was maybe our whole point being out here, you know, is maybe our commandment is to tend the wild. Maybe God can do things so fast, or whoever our creator is can do things so fast with plants, but it takes a while to do that chemistry. And he's like, Oh, how about if I make these guys to tend this and make the garden even better? And we have the total ability to do that. We know how to do it. We just have to do it. Yeah, and it feels like maybe that's what the message is in California. Everyone's like, why are these fires keep happening? It's because we are not only not tending the wild, we're harming the wild. And I mean, you probably heard me talk about this, but we're rerouting all the water from where it collects like along all the areas of catchment really up high in the Sierras. And so all that water gets rerouted before it even gets to the foothills. So the foothills are burning and the small mountains and the, 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 the lowlands are burning all over California because for decades upon decades, we've been rerouting the water and getting better and better at it. Yes. So, yeah, they, um, and not to mention the fact that even in the cities where the water is going to, they have concrete drains, you know, to get everything out in the ocean as fast as possible. So it's like you have two backward systems. You know, that, that water needs to stay in the field and in, inside the hills, and the water in the cities needs to be reclaimed. Yeah, it's and really not rushed out to the city, rushed out the ocean as fast as possible. It's really insane um, and just idiotic when, when you actually look at it from an ecological perspective. Yeah. So I really do oh, hope- common sense. Yeah, oh, okay, <laughs> so doubling back to the acorns, I grew, I, I had always thought it took a year or two of leaching in a barrel to get it no. all out. I leach mine for about five days. I've heard of people having to leach upwards of 10 or 11 days. But you'll see once you start pouring that water off and putting your water in, it'll start clearing up and you'll know it won't smell. Because like uh, the tannins, you know, they have a little bit uh, an odor, not a bad odor, just a distinct odor. And so you'll be able to not smell the tannins in it anymore. That's awesome to know. Um, because, yeah, I mean, maybe there, 
there's often with these things, you know, sometimes misinformation that floats about. So this is really, really good to hear from someone who's very experienced in this. So, and you, maybe they, the person who did that didn't change the water in the barrel. Maybe they just left them in the barrel and let them sit for a year to leach them out that way instead of changing the water. Yeah, that seems like a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Is there an industry? Do you think that there's going to be a market in the next couple of years for this? I think we're going to get to a point with our temperature where it's going to have to be a market. There's going to be there's going to be a time because oak because oak trees, uh, you know, these trees, those guys are the most resilient that they we really have. Are. You know, the annuals annuals are not near about as resilient. So there's going to be a market, and I think the more people learn and start, our, our food trend is, is shifting. Yeah. More and more people, more and more people are, are waking up. We just haven't hit that exponential growth on that S curve, but more and more people are are waking up to our food system you know baby steps with organic organic certainly isn't the it's a step in the right direction even if it's a baby step but we're going to get people to get people on these on on nuts and learn about nuts you don't need anything you can go collect those nuts you can go sit them out in the sun for about three or four days and dry them out if you want to and store them that way or you can take them and crack them fresh with a pair of pliers, or you can get you a nutcracker. Um, there's this company called Dave Built, Dave Built out in, I think they're in Vermont or Wisconsin. He makes these great handmade acorn nutcrackers. They're about a hundred bucks. There is a wait list for them usually, but they're great. And you can, I mean, I can get you, you can get a little bit done with that with a pair of pliers, but really, if you want to take some and you want it to go faster, you want to crack them in this thing, then you can just pick the shells out. But they crack surprisingly easy because the shell is very thin. I remember playing with them. Yeah, I remember playing with them as a kid. They're like little brains inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Usually like a little yellow prettiness. Yeah, so this this whole conversation started because I shared this uh, this this video. I think I believe it was in Greece that they're trying to bring back the acorn tradition, and their acorns are huge. Oh yeah. So, do you think that we're gonna start like importing acorns to get our acorns bigger? Or do you think that we need to just select here for bigger acorns and then start tr working with and tending the wild? Exactly. If we work with what we have here, I think we can produce some great acorns because you find some trees with some great acorns. Now, there's some, there's one in Central America, Caracas insignis. It's uh, a huge golf ball size acorn. I mean, wow. it's the, I think it's the biggest in the world. Now, it's a tropical oak. So it will grow up, it will grow up to 9B where I am. And wow. that is a great that is a great one to put in the ground, but any of the oaks can produce, especially over in California, Oregon. You have black oak. There's a few different native uh, oak trees uh, that are specific to California, and then white oak all the way up and down the coast. So and swamp oak in Florida. Are you studying anything else right now uh, that's that that would expand upon on this or uh, or something of interest that 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 you want to share with us? 
I'm working on, um, hopefully, we're about to put an offer in on a 40-acre uh, property outside of Asheville. It's already got full-grown black walnut and chestnut, Chinese chestnut and a bunch of acorns. Going to make a little permaculture bread and breakfast. Me, I own a restaurant now, so we uh, actually own two now. So we're going to head up there and uh, gonna put a bunch of cabins on, make a little permaculture style bread and breakfast. We're gonna grow a food forest around these people's heads. There's like three miles of trails. It's on the river, stocked full of sand, uh, trouts, and uh, gonna bring people out, teach them how to move the forest and reconnect. Wow. That's that's my main passion. Is we can preach to all of our friends all we want. But until we get the person who doesn't go out in the forest to come out in the forest, they're not going to want to protect it. Yep. So, so that's what I want to do. I'm, I'm a runner. You know, I do ultra marathons. I've done a lot of runs, and um, so that's why I want to get people out. People that are runners, you know, that may not experience the forest, but get them out and teach them how to run in the forest. Yeah. And, and then, and then they're going to run through this magical place where there's fruit and nuts on every tree, and they'll be like, "What the? What? What's going on here?" And I'm like, "Oh." This is what you could have abundance. Wow. I love it. Yeah, Mark, thank you so much for joining us and, you know, enlightening us as to how we can look outside and see an abundance that wasn't there yesterday in our minds, but always was there waiting for us. Right. Man. If you look around at all that, it is abundance. Look at talking about not being able to feed the world. But if you look at so much wasted space, you know, you can't drive anywhere. Just look at sides of the roads everywhere that are just blank, blank slates, you know, that could be food grown everywhere. It's just we don't have a, a production problem, you know, it's just a, a harvesting problem and a dispersion problem. But Awareness. there's so much food around. Absolutely. In the Pacific Northwest, it totally feels that way when, when it's blackberry season. It's like every few feet. I can eat. <laughs> yeah, right? No doubt. Oh, man, I love it up there. That's my favorite. I love the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it's pretty wild, but I feel like the every every single area in the, the, in areas where indigenous people have lived for thousands of years has something to teach us that will, you know, broaden our understanding of what's possible and make us humble again. And because that's really what's going on. They're like, no, I don't have time for that. We don't, we don't have time for that. We don't have money for that. We can't invest in that. Da, 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 da. And that's all they're doing. They're just making a sound and attaching different convenient words to it. And if we just decided to say yes and looked out and saw this abundance, I, I, I'm so excited to see your example go forward and your sight to happen. This is amazing because I mean, no one's doing this that I know of. I knew, I knew, I know someone down in Arizona, for years has been working with the, oh, the the mesquite flower. Yeah, this guy's an yeah. expert. And he does it on his driveway, dries them out on his driveway. So ridiculous, but you know that's uh, that's Arizona for you, and uh, and so it's like we know these people here and there who are doing it, and they're brave examples and joyously so because they love it um and we need them we really need them so thank you so much for diving in and coming on and and sharing that knowledge with us and matt thank you for everything you do you are a blessing to the world the, your your books my child 
just fell in love with permaculture student one book and now we're super excited to be taking your class you know in april or may whenever it comes about but he's all ready to take it and um, thank you because you really found a, have a way of speaking to children or even even adults who don't know anything about permaculture that that's what's so incredible about that first permaculture book is an adult can be a read it and be engaged it's not like anything that an adult like okay this is too you know too childish for me it's it's perfect for adults but it's so easy for a child to understand so i just thank you so much oh that's awesome mark i love how you said that because for me it's really important that i honor the learner and i don't um talk down to them so I wrote it in, with my mind being like when my son or someone else's son or daughter who's a homeschooler reads this, I want them to be like, yeah. And the parent to be like, do you need any help? And be like, nope, I got it. And then go off and do it. So that it, 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 it's that accessible. But at the same time, it's not like this like teacher's manual. I want it to be open, exciting. And I, I'm just so lucky that so many people pitched in and really gave me the feedback I needed to calibrate that. So thank you so much for saying that. Oh, you're welcome. All right, well, I, I hope to check in when you start your business and promote your business and, uh, and showcase the awesome, you know, changing experiences you, you provide to people in that space. It's gonna be beautiful, Matt. I'm looking forward to having you out after I get it done. Yeah, that would be amazing. We would totally love to visit the South again and visit you. Sweet. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, and we'll be checking in soon. Thank you so much, Matt. Have a beautiful day. You too. Bye. Bye.